Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your children, and your partner. We're going to give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. This is Felicia. I'm a social media marketer, writer, and a mom to three boys, ages four, two, and 10 months. And I'm Tara Lynn, an English professor turned stay-at-home mom to four kids, ages 10, eight, four, and two. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you, our awesome listeners. Let's find the magic together. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, before we start talking about unconditional love for our kids, we are going to do our face palm and high five. So I have the face palm today, and it is that I have overbought pre-K, what is this called, pre-K? Like pre-kindergarten? Yeah, preschool, that's what I'm looking for. Preschool home teaching supplies, like many preschool home teaching supplies. And I look at them and think, why did I even buy this? Because it's just like, this is an orange lion and color it. And I have many. So if anybody needs preschool teaching supplies, don't buy them. Come to me. Come to my house. Gather up some ABC tracing charts. And Felicia, that's probably the first time you have ever overbought anything. So I know, you cut yourself on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my world. That's pretty much everything I've ever bought. I'm like, why did I even get this? Anyway. So... Awesome. Well, my high five for the week is, it sounds, it starts out not sounding like a high five, but my family, I mentioned it last week, but we have been having the stomach flu. And so after we recorded the next few days, we're just, I mean, everybody ended up going belly up except for one person in my house who had the stomach flu. And as the stomach flu always is, it is so fun. And (laughs) it always is at night. I feel like when the worst part comes, but my high five is when my two-year-old got the stomach flu. He had it probably the worst he's ever had it in his life and maybe the worst of any of my kids when they were that little. Like it was the whole night of just throwing up. And I was with him and I was keeping him hydrated. We had all the things we needed to keep him hydrated and I was, you know, monitoring his condition to make sure he was safe. But I decided that it was a really as I was there I decided to make it into an exercise of just being present. And that was like my whole goal. Like we're going into the night, I'm gonna be up the whole night probably. And my goal here is just gonna be to be present with him and not fight against, cause a lot of our pain in life comes with the thoughts surrounding a situation. So not like it shouldn't be like this. He shouldn't be sick at night. Uh, he shouldn't be suffering because those thoughts are really painful. Instead, it was just, he does have the stomach flu, but that's a reality. He is throwing up, and I'm just going to be present with him through it. Like, that's my goal tonight, just being present. 
And what ended up happening was actually so tender. I feel like as a mother, it's actually one of the most tender things we can do is caring for the people that we love when they're sick. It's kind of a sacred space for me. And, you know, I look back at my own mother and father and the way they cared for me when I was sick, and I'm getting emotional. I didn't expect this. But anyway, I feel like it's just a really, really tender space to be. And children, anyway. So I just spent the night with him, holding him, and it was so cute. He'd asked me to snuggle him, and the way he says it is so cute. He's like, Mommy, snuggle me. <laughs> and he's just, and anyway, I just held him all night in our little, a little chair in his room, and we had, I had a huge pile of towels that we just went through and I mean, literally like an entire, I just like went in there, stocked up with all the hydrating supplies and like 10 towels and just, we just go through the towels because of course he could never, he had a hard time making it into his little bucket. But anyway, it was really, really a sweet, tender moment of connection with him and something that he probably won't remember, but I always will. And Obviously, I don't want that to happen often because it's, it's unpleasant. But when I got past the unpleasantness of it and was able to just sit with him and be with him and connect with him, it ended up being a really beautiful, a beautiful thing. And I think that's part of accepting reality and living in the present moment. Sometimes when people hear that, they think, well, what about, well, you know, he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't be sick. You shouldn't just let him be sick. But luckily with stomach flu, that's all, that's your only option. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you still don't do things to help. I did everything I possibly could to help comfort him and to make sure that he was safe and not dehydrating and stuff. But I think it kind of, to me, was like a microcosmic example of the macrocosm that is living in the present moment. You actually do end up doing your best but you don't have to have all the painful thoughts around it and just have moments of beautiful connection instead, even in moments that are traditionally right. very difficult. Which is a lot of parenting. I'd say 75% or more. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, a lot of parenting. It's hard stuff. It's not or just easy stuff. unpleasant or just boring. Yeah, all those things. So I love that. That's amazing. Sweet Liam. Okay, so today, Terlyn actually wants to share first her feelings and purpose behind this podcast. So Felicia and I were like laughing a couple of weeks ago about something. And she was like, well, that's not even my reason for doing this podcast. And, and you know, we went on with our conversation, but it made me start thinking, hold on, what is my reason? Like, why are we spending all this time preparing podcasts and sh- sharing podcasts and recording them? Why are we even doing it? And my mind went through a lot of different first easy answers But then as I kept asking myself, you know, like first one was, well, Felicia asked me to. And then after that, it was, you know, I probably had five or six answers. But when I when I kept going deeper and deeper, so like, why really? Why that? Why am I spending time doing this? For me, the core reason why I'm spending my energy creating this podcast for you guys is this concept that we're going to be talking about today. And it is unconditional love and what that looks like not only for how we're looking at the adults in our lives and ourselves, but also the children in our lives. So I know um, not everybody who listens to this podcast is parents, but this is obviously going to apply a lot to parenting what we're talking about today. And everybody does have children somewhere in their lives. So this applies to everybody. Um, But I've seen so, so many people who I love and who are wonderful, kind, 
people who I admire and people who really love their children and are good parents. But I've seen, it's so common, I feel like, I see people, it's like unintentionally crushing their kids' spirits through the withdrawal of love or the labeling of a kid in a negative way. So, for example, and I can just picture, like, as I'm saying this, I can, like, picture little kids' faces. We've all seen it. When a parent, like, reacts with anger or says something like, so reacting with anger is an example of withdrawing love. And and as I say this, nobody's perfect. Everybody reacts with anger sometimes. But I'm talking about for the most part. When you see a parent, like, react with anger or say something, a label, like, you are so bad or you are so naughty or I've had parents, like, say in front of their kids, be like, oh, yeah, this one is my really problem kid. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And the kid, I look over at the kid and the kid looks up like this, it's shame in their eyes. Like, I am not okay. I'm who I am. There's obviously something flawed at my very core there's something wrong with me and adults I feel like when a lot of adults start really reaching into their deep rooted problems in therapy and stuff I feel like a lot of it does come back to the idea that as children they were somehow taught that something is wrong with them like they are not good enough who they are isn't enough so they end up trying to be somebody else to please their parents And we can't be anybody else well. We can really only be ourselves well. And I think all of us as parents really, with our minds, understand the concept that we just want our kids to be the best version of themselves instead of trying to be somebody else who they think we want them to be. And we say we want that. Yeah, we say we want that with our mind, but really what we're going to try to do with this podcast is teach you just some tools to actually make our kids feel safe being who they are and expressing emotions without feeling like, oh, if I, my parents only love me, they only show kindness and affirmation to me when I'm doing good things. But when I do bad things, maybe that's screaming, maybe that's having a tantrum, maybe that's hitting somebody, my parents are going to withdraw their love completely through expressing anger or saying words that label me as bad. And therefore, I am only worth loving. So what, what kids take out of this, even though we don't mean it, we of course love our kids all the time. How kids internalize this is that I am only lovable when I'm good. So what happens when you're an adult and you do something bad? Because I think we, as adults, we realize, guess what? Kids aren't the only people who make mistakes and do bad things. So and you can see, when I see this a lot. I see my kids do something and I think I've done that as an adult and I'm I'm frustrated inside at them and I've done that. I've spilled that because I didn't think about where I put yes. my cup or yes. whatever. Yes. And what about as a teenager when your kid does something that is actually you could classify as bad? Are they going to be able to come to you and talk to you about it if their entire life you shut them off from love if they accidentally broke a glass? So that's a small thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they spill milk they break a glass, you react by withdrawing your love and you react with anger and they feel that feeling that's a bad feeling. So then later when they actually do make a serious mistake, again, which I want to emphasize, I feel like everybody makes mistakes in their life. Instead of for them being willing to come to you, it's, well, they reacted like this. My whole life has been reinforced that if I did something small that was bad, what now that I've done something actually big, 
they're not going to be coming to you because your love actually unintentionally has become an unsafe space for them. Right. And that isn't what we want as parents. None of us want that, but none of, I feel like people may not have the tools they need to create that kind of safe space. So really, this is like a really important thing to me because I just want, I want not only adults to be freed from conditionally loving each other and conditionally loving themselves. If I do something wrong, then I'm not lovable. Mm -hmm. We need to change the dialogue with ourselves. But also, if we can, I mean, we're like freeing an entire generation of kids with this dialogue. Yep. Is, is my goal, is my hope. And this conversation that other people who are a lot smarter and a lot more experienced than me has changed my entire perception of parenting. And so I'm hoping and I'm actually honored to even be part of this conversation with you guys. And we can learn it together. Yep. And we, we all of us, everyone listening, we all love our children unconditionally. And we... We would never actually like get rid of them or sell them, um, <laughs> but and so when we express anything other than that, we aren't being authentic to ourselves. So our action actions showing our children that we accept them and we love them unconditionally, whether their emotions are frustration, madness, screaming, yelling, sad, tantrums. Or their big positive emotions. Are we accepting both? And when we do, then we are being authentic towards them. And they'll feel that. They'll feel that from us. So we want to give a few concrete examples because we think that's the easiest way to learn anything. Um, so I think if you just want to go broad, most if then or when then statements towards your kids are putting their emotions or their actions in a conditional space. So if you put on your shoes, then we can go to the park. But if you step back and reframe that, I always like to think... Because Felicia's saying that you're making going to the park totally conditional. Um, then putting on their well, shoes. Well, we all know. You're, you're going to go to the, the park. Because you're probably going to meet your friend and have but fun. But you're making it conditional have, if yes. you put that statement. Yeah. Okay, so. Yep, yeah, exactly. So a way to reframe that, to make it unconditional, I'm just going to give an example. And you can, you can say this any way you want, but I'm going to give you the exact dialogue. It's something that I would say. So, wow, you really don't want to put on your shoes. And then in my mind, I would think, do they really need? Do they really need to put on their shoes in this moment, or is there another option? <laughs> because that's a constant battle. And we're laughing because I never wear shoes myself, so this <laughs> anyway. is like an interesting example yes. for me. I can really relate with yes, Cohen with on this one. Yes. <laughs> so, wow, you really don't want to put on your shoes. We need shoes to play at the park because it's cold or whatever reason. We get slivers. Yeah. Whatever. Yep. Um, do you want to bring them with you or put them on now? So that's, that's something that I would say and just throw them in the car or for Terrilyn, that's very easy for her because she probably just threw her, her shoes in the car too or not even bring them along. But if, if for you, and here's the key, these things aren't let your kids do whatever the heck they want and not wear shoes and just run around being a crazy person. If for you, wearing your shoes to the park is something in your home we just do this then you you get down one-on-one -on -one with them and say to, we need shoes to play at the park period not if you don't put them on we aren't going i'm going to help you put them on 
and you help them put them on. And they may squawk the whole time. Yep, and they may not like it. you have like to be it. okay with that. Yeah, and accept, wow, you really don't want to put on your shoes. But you don't take away the part because it's making that conditional. Okay, so another good example. If you hit your brother, you have to go to timeout. Um, and I, I want to emphasize timeout because I think any sort of putting your child, making your child go to a space where nobody is when they have done something that that you don't feel is acceptable um, is withdrawing love. If you go with them and sit through it, it's not. So you can, it's not that you don't need your own space and a cool down. Because we all do. We, we all do. And if they, if they choose that and go by themselves, that, that's not conditional. But if going with them and sitting with them, um, you can still take that cool down. So if you hit your brother, you have to go to timeout. So I would first acknowledge the hurt, whoever was hurt. Because that redirects their attention to um, the person who is hurting in that situation, which is the most important part. And that's what you want them to do as an adult. And you want them, when they hurt somebody, that's actually what you want them to focus on. Oh, I don't want to do that because I actually don't want to hurt people. Not because I'm going to have this terrible punishment. You want people, you want your kids not to hurt people because they actually don't want to hurt other people. Yeah. And focusing on the person who got hurt is the way to do that. Yeah. That is the actual natural consequence. consequence. Yeah. And just to be clear, we are not pro-hitting. <clears throat> Nobody wants their kids to hit. Right. I wish I could say, we have an answer to make sure your kid will never hit again. No. They but will. unfortunately, yeah. we, what we can do, though, is make it as safe a setting as we can. Of, you know, avoid it. Stop it before it happens. But when it does happen, when you can't get there and stop it, this, what Felicia's telling us, is such an awesome tool. You focus on the person that's hurt, and then... And then say something like, wow, you were so mad. That made you feel like kidding. Because, I don't know about any of you, but we've all been so mad that we want to hit something, or throw something, or just, you have that feeling inside, you're blowing up your fist, like, ah! And so acknowledging that emotion, because... The emotion of feeling like you're so mad you want to hit your sibling who just stole your favorite toy isn't bad. Um, So acknowledge their emotion. And then I like to say something like, is there anything you can do to make Johnny feel better? Or if in your house saying sorry or whatever your thing is, um, then you can redirect back to something like that. But the key is um, not being conditional with the hitting. So if you hit your brother, I'm going to seclude you, go in your room. Or if I, if you hit your brother, I'm going to hit you. Or something like all of those are withdrawing your love for an action that was made from a place of emotion that is relevant that we should accept. Yeah. And there are times I think that, I mean, Felicia's saying don't take them to a timeout and have isolation be a punishment. But there are times, especially when you have a kid who's in like a hitting mood, yes. where you you don't just like then stick them back with their brother because you're just asking for more hitting. Yeah. So I think there are definitely times where you can say, I can see you're really still wanting to hit your brother. So I'm actually going to take you with me and we're actually going to go in, we are going to go into this other space mm-hmm. because 
this isn't a safe space for either of you. So you're still creating safety for both the brother in this situation yes. and your other child because this isn't a way of just like, oh, you just do this every time and then just let them keep hitting because that's not safe for anybody. You're pro- yeah. You need, also need to protect the other one. And you're protecting the one who's hitting from their own big emotions. Nobody yeah. feels good after they hit somebody. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, you know what, we're going to go over to this side. We're going to play on this side of the couch and I'm going to hold you. And if you keep trying to go back, I'm actually going to hold you here and prepare yourself because he may have a meltdown. Yeah. Or my kids love to say, once we can like step back from a situation... I can say, I can tell you really want to hit. What's something we can do? And yeah. my four-year-old loves it. He'll be like, punch a pillow, punch yeah, a pillow, yeah. punch a pillow. And he like starts like chanting and dancing around like yeah. a little war dance. And then we all do a little war dance and all punch the pillows of the couch. And it actually totally diffuses the situation. Totally. So sometimes you can tell there's a lot in there. There's more coming out. You still need to make it safe for everybody. But sometimes you can turn it into a fun... Mm-hmm. You have that feeling to hit. I can tell you really want yep. to. What can we do? Turn into war dance and hit pillows. So yep. that's a fun way to redirect. And I find especially... I only have boys, so sometimes I give examples that I think are especially with boys, but they're probably with all kids. But with my boys, that physical outlet is something that they do really want and need. So punching a pillow or run outside or Jumping whatever. on a tramp. Mm-hmm. I've actually found fits that same release valve, the punching... <laughs> Yes. Um, like that fills that need. And yes. so sometimes we go jump on the trap if we can. So let's talk about um, how these things can be emotional leverage. Okay. So we're going to kind of go into bribes and threats, which seriously were probably the hardest thing for me to give up. Oh, it's on. so hard because they're so easy. <laughs> they're so easy. They're like the easiest way to get your kids to do what you want them to do. Like it's so, so, so easy. So, for example, you know, like, if, oh, if you just, if you just don't do this, then I'll give you a treat. Yes. Or if you can just stay quiet for a little longer, then I'll do this. Or, which we all do. I mean, I wish I could say I've never, never done that before. But no, I have. All these things. We're doing our best. But then on the other side of that is threats. And, for example, and I see this happen so much, and I used to do it a lot myself, that is where you take something that was going to be positive. Say you're going to take your kid on a date and it's going to be really fun. You're going to go to the trampoline park and they're looking forward to it. You're looking forward to it. And then they have a meltdown at 4 PM and you're supposed to leave at five. And it's so easy just to be like, please. Okay. If you stop right now, <laughs> we'll still go. then we'll still go. But if you don't, if you keep acting like this, then we're not going to go on our date. And that's so easy that, that oftentimes gets them to stop their behavior but it's called emotional leverage. And imagine your relationship like a bank account. And every time you use emotional leverage, either bribes or threats, it's like you're just withdrawing a little bit from your relational bank account that you have with your with your child. And so, yeah, it gets the behavior to stop. But in the end, it doesn't do like long-term good. In fact, we've been watching Incredibles 2 lately. And there's this baby who, like, has powers and turns into one of his powers is he can turn into a demon baby. And he, like, gets really (laughs) mad. And the lady who's making his soup for him at the end is like, I've noticed that anything that involves a cookie, which bribing him with a cookie, ends in the demon baby. And I feel like that's actually a good thing for life. Like, when you use bribe and threats, in the end, it usually doesn't pay off like we're wanting it to. It gets short-term behavior changes, but not long-term behavior changes. And also, I mean, I've heard this even, I mean, I've heard parents threaten Disneyland. Like, 
if you're you, still gonna go to Disneyland. If you don't do this, we're not gonna go to Disneyland next week. But we all know you are still going to Disneyland. But all you've done now is tainted the thing, the positive thing. You've taken Disneyland and put this shadow over it. You've taken your date, this is like sacred time. You're gonna go to the trampoline park and put a shadow over it because you've threatened it and made it conditional on their behavior. So, and so you're actually taking this awesome thing you're already gonna be doing. Look, keep it positive, keep it a thing of connection and let's not overshadow it with a threat. So in that example, you're gonna go on a date. Your kid is melting down, cause kids do. Another option to try on, instead of threatening your date, you could say, first of all, you have to look inside yourself. What are the options? If they're melting down right as you're about to leave, the trampoline park, it probably isn't going to be fun. So you could say something like, we're not gonna leave right now. I still wanna go to the trampoline park, but maybe we're gonna, let's just stay here for an extra 20 minutes, just to, so you can feel. I can tell you're feeling something really strong right now. You're laying on the floor kicking your feet. So you're probably not in the mood right now to leave. I'm gonna set a timer for 10 minutes and we're just gonna sit here and then we'll go. How does that sound? And usually when I've done that, it actually, they get over that feeling quite quickly. <laughs> or another example, so this is another just concrete example, getting in the car. This is an example of it's gonna happen no matter what. So there's really no point in threatening. Kids have to wear car seats. I mean, get in their car seats, right? That's not like an Which option. Always struggle that's not something that they're gonna, <laughs> I'm never going to be like, oh, that's fine. We'll just drive without you being in your car seat. That's not never going to happen. So when my children say, I don't want to get in my car seat, blah, 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 and they start melting down, I have actually found this quite liberating. I can just say, oh, that's okay. You really don't want to get in your car seat. However, we're still going. Like yeah. I, I, I've already decided we're going to this place. And I can just calmly pick them up and put them in and even sometimes make it into like a fun game. Like, oh, you're, oh my goodness, like your arm, you're so strong. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And still just buckle them up. So I actually am forcing them to get in their car seat. The action doesn't change. I could use manipulation and say, if you don't do it, we're not going to go to the park or whatever. But I know that I need, I need to go to the park for my own mental health. Mm -hmm. So... I guess you don't want to, but that's okay. I'm still going to put you in. You know, that's all right. It's okay for you to feel that way. And as we're saying this, I can hear like, I can like hear your brains going. I can hear people saying, well, doesn't that just train them that they can act however they want and just be little terrors. And actually the opposite thing happens. Like my kids, I feel like when you do that, you may still have a fight every once in a while with the car seat, but it almost diffuses it as it like loses its Not power. A big deal. Getting the car seat isn't really a big deal anymore. And that may take a few times. And even a month from now, they may fight getting into the car seat, but it takes it away. It diffuses the whole power of the situation in a way that a bribe or a threat never really could. Right. You it's know? a temporary, the bribe or the threat is a temporary fix. And you've maintained your connection through that. Mm -hmm. You've shown them that, oh, I can be the big person in the situation. It's okay. I can handle it. I can handle that feeling that you're showing me and still follow through with what I need to happen. Yep. You know? And I think that's the key is through your, your words, your voice, your body. Um, and it starts in your mind because our kids are very aware. But in your mind, you are the mama bear calm, moving them into the car seat. You're not forceful. You're not gritting your teeth. And well, sometimes you might be. But those are the things you're trying to to soften in yourself and so if for you it's just a natural smooth this isn't a big deal they will feel that energy coming from you so 
even if you're not saying the bribes and the threats, try to also have your, eventually, your mind and your insides come across calm as well because they can feel that. Um, so I have one more example that I'm sure a lot of us, or maybe it's just my kids, but my kids go through waves of loving babysitters and then waves of maybe they haven't got enough time with me, so they're kind of not feeling like a babysitter. Yeah. It's a great idea for them. <laughs> and so the other night we were leaving on a date and it's like a crescendo. My my little my baby has just gotten into stranger danger so he sees the like teenage girl anyone and he's like no 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 and he starts getting this look on his face like oh no what's coming <laughs> yes. and so then my two-year-old sees him and he starts to kind of quiver the lip and then my oldest actually will say Lenny's crying so it's making me gonna cry <laughs> so and so the other night our babysitter gets here this whole thing starts everybody's freaking out and I'm just like, man, I just want to go on my date. My <laughs> just nice let me go free. Childless <laughs> date. And I was so close to just saying, you know, I'm going through my mind of what kind of delicious treats we have in the freezer, what kind of candies do we have? What could I even say she could watch a little show with them? I mean, I'm just so desperate to get on the date. And I thought of this as I'm hugging my two-year-old. I'm just going to what is this going to take an extra two minutes really for them to get this filling out? So I'm just going to sit here and I just said, you really don't want the babysitter to be here. And you know, I'm holding like three kids cause they're all crying. <laughs> um, and I just sat with them in those emotions. And then I just said, I'm going to let our babysitter hold you for the ones who can't hold themselves. And dad and I are going to leave. So they were all st- well, my oldest, but the two younger were still having a meltdown when I left. I acknowledged their emotions and then I left and our babysitter texted us 30 seconds later. Like they're totally fine. Stop crying. Um, but I felt so much better than had I left almost numbing their emotions with a treat, not almost numbing their emotions with a treat or a show. Mm-hmm. And I know that in the future, when they know a babysitter is coming, they're going to reflect on that. Mom's going to leave anyways, and it's okay that I'm sad about it. And fast forward 15 more years, and they're going away to college. They'll know that it's actually okay for me to feel sad about. Like, I can miss my mom and still feel safe in that feeling. I don't need to numb it. I mean, think how valuable that tool is in general. It's okay to miss your mom. You know, we all... We all miss our moms. <laughs> so I think that's beautiful. I love that, that you actually let them feel it. That's a normal feeling. I'm still going to go. It isn't like you stayed home from your date because, yep. I mean, heaven Heaven's forbid. No. <laughs> but, but yeah, you're okay with, I'm okay with you feeling that. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Yep. We had one of our listeners ask a really great question that applies to this so well. She asked, how can I get my son to listen without threatening? And oh, this is such a good question because we've all felt this before. Okay, so, and I wish I could just, like, chat with her because I have a few follow-up questions for that. But um, when we're talking about our kids listening, uh, I think the number one reframe for having them listen is where are you when you're trying to have them listen? Because if they're playing with toys and you're doing the dishes, let's, I don't, I mean, I think three out of my four kids' natures would be not to listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of them is she always, like, will just stop and look over. What, Mommy, what yeah. do you say? But the other ones, it requires me stopping what I'm doing 
going over to them, looking at them in the eye. I usually actually have to put my hand on them to signal, oh, I'm going to be talking to you now. Because otherwise, they're in their own world. They're doing their own play stuff, whatever. So I actually have to walk over, say, okay, you know, it's, it's going to be time. We're going to be leaving in 10 minutes. I need you to do this, this, or this. Mm-hmm. But then I, I think, I'm assuming that the follow-up question, what she's really asking, not only have them listen, but how do you get them to do what you're asking them to do? Yes. <laughs> and that's because that's what we're all trying to do, right? right? And my only piece of refra- reframing for that would be, depending on what it is, let's just say getting on your coat. I would say you ask them, can you go get on your, oh, actually, yeah, can you go get on your coat? And they may not do it. Depending on their age, you may have to walk over with them. Or they may be like, I don't want a coat. And then in those situations, I think anytime you can give a choice, you can either bring your coat and just leave it on, you know, bring it in the car. Or you can wear your coat. Which one do you want? Or if you're just walking outside your house, I would actually say, consider the possibility that let them make that choice. That's actually a really safe space to make the choice of not bringing your coat. If you're just going to be playing in the front yard, you're going to find out pretty soon that you're either fine without a coat or you're going to be freezing. And then come back in and get it. But then as a parent, you also have to have the wisdom. But if we're going to the park, I don't actually want my kid to freeze. So in that case, I may say, these are your two choices. Bring it or wear it. But you're not going to make it into a huge battle. Mm-hmm. And if it's something, and again, I don't know what she's asking about. But for me, a problem point in my own home is how do I get them to listen and then actually clean up their stuff. That's usually what I'm trying to get yes. them to do. And I found that for little kids, the only way to do it is get on their level. I touch my son's arm and say, okay, it's time to put away our toys. And then and I'm going to be here and do it with you. And then we actually just have to do it together. And sometimes he helps and sometimes he's not that great at it. Yeah. But it's just teaching the concept of it. Whereas my older kids, we've gotten out to the point where... As long as I get their attention and connect with them, when I ask them, they're getting to a point now where they actually do it. But mm-hmm. I would say just be patient with that process. You have to, I feel like you have to do it with them a lot yeah. as you're teaching them. Yeah. So that's my reframing for that yep. question. But I, I love don't know. That. Do you have anything to add to that? Nope. I think that was great. Um, <clears throat> so with this, we want to give you a try this or don't try it if you're not connecting with it. Um, but I want you to try and notice when you are both punishing or rewarding verbally or through actual um, things with your kids don't you don't have to change anything unless you want to unless you feel like you want to go to that next step but try to notice both your punishments and rewards so when I say rewards it can be as simple as wow you put your coat on good job or they draw a picture and wow, that is the most beautiful bird that I've ever seen. I'm not saying those things are wrong to say, but I just want you to notice when you are both punishing and rewarding and be aware of just what you're saying. Awesome. And I just have one thing I just want to add, like a research to kind of motivate you for this. I went and heard a psychologist speak once this is before I had kids, and I still remember his sentence that he said. He said, research has proven over and over and over that punishment has no long-term effects, but the opposite side of the coin is rewards don't either. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind. I was like, I don't even know what you're, I have no idea what you're <laughs> even talking about here. What are you saying? And it's taken a lot of years of research of my own and reading a lot to come to the conclusion that long-term behavior, short-term behavior, rewards and punishment works, but long-term behavior, punishments actually don't. Mm -hmm. Only intrinsic motivation 
can change long-term behavior. And so that's the whole goal of what we're talking about here, to teach our kids to have intrinsic motivation inside of themselves and feel safe and loved and that they are enough while learning those things. So we're still teaching the same things. Our actual long-term goals is to have well-behaved children who are contributing to society. But what we're saying is it isn't just making them feel safe. It actually is like research proven the behavior doesn't improve long-term with punishments. So it isn't just the lovey feeling, lovey-dovey feeling stuff that it is yep. important. It's actually results oriented yes. too, which is pretty yep. cool. Yep. All right. So <clears throat> we want to unpack this more in later episodes, but if you guys have specific questions about any of this, leave us a review with the question there and we can answer your questions on future episodes. So let's find the magic. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> <laughs> <At> brown cows. <laughs>